Awesome. Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, whatever. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Author News Weekly. I am your host, Roland Denzel. You can find me at theindestructibleauthor.com. And I'm joined today by Jim and Dave. I'm going to let them both introduce themselves so they can do the... Let's start with Dave. Dave, introduce yourself You're, since you are, you are our special guest. <laughs> I'm Dave Behrens. I'm an author and cover designer, and uh, that's about it. <laughs> Where can they find you? Where can people find you if they uh, want to see your, your amazing covers? Because they are amazing. Covers? Thank you. Thank you. Covers can be found at cover2book.com, cover2book.com, and books can be found at baronsbook.com. Awesome. Awesome. And then we go to Jim. Hello. I am Jim Heskett. You know me. And I can attest to Dave's cover skills. He makes some of my covers. Dave also made some of my covers like five years ago when he was first starting <laughs> cover design. And you could really tell. <laughs> it's oh, yeah. like a whole new I agree. World. I agree. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's great to be able to see the journey. Yeah. yeah. So we're talking about a couple of cool things this week. One of the things that, that's been buzzing around is physical books. I know as a lot of, as indie authors, I don't know about you two, but as an indie author, most of my book sales are eBooks or a very high percentage of them are eBooks. And, but I've noticed, and you may have noticed as well, that the paper prices and print on demand prices have really been going up. And over the last couple of years, it's, uh, it's at first, it wasn't that big of a deal, but then it cut into where I needed to like knock it up $1 about a dollar more over the last two years. Have you both noticed that as well? Yeah. Yeah. So I hadn't, I hadn't specifically noticed my own price going. This was actually the whole print books getting smaller. I hadn't heard anything about this, but the, the books I sell are probably 90% ebook. I sell paperbacks and now a few hardbacks, like a handful a month. And I only offer them just because I don't want to have to deal with somebody coming along and saying, hey, do you offer print? But I just did, I'm rewriting a series and I just went through to put in the paperback and it did seem, it did seem like I had to choose a higher price. I was going, hey, do I really want to, would I want to pay that much for this paperback book? I don't know. I think to be perfectly honest with you, it's probably a, it's probably a good thing for, for what we call an independent publisher or an indie, indie author. We don't rely on that very much. And it's probably a very bad thing for a, a traditional publisher. They deal primarily in print. And I think we'll probably start to see it on their end as far as pricing goes, for sure. How about you, Jim? How's it affected you? I, I have a book I could show you that I just <laughs> stuck in here. I bought Dragon's Bottom Twilight by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. I always wanted to read this. And it was like $3 because this print is so tiny. Oh, my gosh. gosh. No one could ever yeah. read it. It's I'd, so good, though. I'm exactly like Dave. I sell probably, if you take out audiobooks, just print and ebook, I'm probably 95, 98% ebooks is what I sell. I have the print books mainly like for my dad, my brother, and my high school English teacher still buys print books. But if, did you guys see the meme that was going on recently? It was like a, a screenshot of the inside of someone's paperback book. It said, 
click here for the audiobook version of this for free. <laughs> and I thought for a second that was my book because I'm positive. Uh, I have mm-hmm. some books like the first in series, I'll make sure that I go through and do a different version for the ebook and the paperback. But sometimes I just don't care. I am 100% positive that there are tons of Jim Heskett paperbacks out there with <laughs> underlying text and like, saying, get my lead magnet here and all that. And it's just proof that I don't sell a whole lot of paperbacks that I've never heard a complaint from a reader. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard a reader complaining about trying to tap on a link yeah. inside a paperback book. <laughs> right. That's funny. I think I probably, as a primarily a nonfiction author, we sell, uh, I, it's not the royal we, I have a co-author, but we sell probably 60 to 70% eBooks. So a significant number of print books. And it really depends on the book. Some of our books are 80% print. And some of them are, it depends on what it is. If we have workout books, they have a lot of graphics and charts and things like that. So those were more print. So I guess, Jim, like in your example, I start with print, like I lead to make sure the print experience is good. So I've always had short links that are, you could type, easily type. So mm-hmm. yeah, so even if they end up underlined, they can still read what it said. And it's very short because I've always been cognizant of like people being able to look at the type next to it and look over and type as they're going. Yeah. One of the things that I've in, in Vellum makes it super easy because you can diverge. You can have one book that has two different versions of a page. So you can have a version for your ebook and a version for your paperback book. And what I, there, there was a time where I thought I'm going to get my paperbacks looking nice. <laughs> I'm going to revamp them. And I redid a few and I went through and I put in QR codes in the place of where those links would have been for the paperback editions. But I've also set up link trackers on those QR codes, and they don't get a lot of clicks. So it was mm-hmm. a waste of time to go through and do yeah. all that. And I probably won't do that again. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, we're talking about an article in The Economist called, Are Books Physically Changing Because of Inflation? And so they may not be changing so much in the indie side. But in the traditional side, what they're talking about is that the costs have gone up so much, paper going up 70%, and... huge delays in shipping. I think even more than, so more than the cost themselves, it's like the the delays in shipping and hard to get the perfect paper. So paper has gotten thinner. We've started cramming more, more text on each page, which leads to a poor reader experience. So what they're choosing to do though, is tighten up the books to make them smaller. So they have a better reader experience. And some people are arguing that's a positive thing that books have been bloated. And we know the books were bloated on purpose back in the 60s and 70s in order to hit a certain size book that looked good on a shelf and things like that. And it's just been a vicious circle ever since. So maybe this is a time when things are starting to bring us back to baseline. What do you think about that? That could be. I hadn't seen that, but that's interesting. There's always been this this feeling like, oh, it's a book. It's a substantial, it feels like a big book in my hand. Stephen King, you can barely hold those in one hand. So it's difficult for me too, because I haven't read a physical book really in a long time that wasn't a nonfiction book. There is something weird about a nonfiction book or a self-help or that kind of book that you need it, you need it in your hand, or maybe you make notes or you refer to it back and forth. And with fiction, it's just linear. You just go forward to front to back. So that's interesting. I hadn't heard that until this show. I hadn't heard about the the slimming down of books and the maybe the I have seen like Jim was saying I've got that book Dragons of Autumn Twilight and they were small the print in those guys were small 
And uh, these days now I've got a Kindle and I can bring it up to where my eyes can actually see it. My, my co-author is a trauma therapist. And so she gets a lot, she's constantly getting books about trauma. And I always joke with her that like, she's causing me the trauma of having to read really small print because she'll come in and show me this book and she complains about it too. And like, there, it's like margins, like into the gutter and then almost all the way to the edge. And they're like eight or nine point fonts. It's like, and they're, yeah. like, they're really like they're really tall and super really so mm -hmm. there's so much on there like you could spend it's like a chapter per page sometimes like yeah. when I just uh, all in a goal to get the book smaller. When I first started trying to get into publishing back before I knew about indie publishing, when you were submitting a thriller, it had to be ninety thousand words. If you were submitting a romance, it had to be seventy thousand words. Romance. If you were submitting yeah. sci-fi and fantasy, it had to be one hundred and ten thousand words. And I always thought back then that those book lengths were arbitrary and dumb. And what I didn't know at the time was they need to be that length so they can print a certain length book because thrillers are expected. Thrillers can be sold in this price range. Romance novels can be mm -hmm. sold in this price range. So you have to get it to a certain length to be the right page count to be thick enough to sell it at that price point. It's not like a thriller is perfect if it's 90,000 words. You could have a 50,000 word thriller that could be just as good. And with mm -hmm. eBooks coming up and print books declining, I wonder if that's gonna change or if it's just now because of Kindle Unlimited every book is just going to try to be as long as possible because that's the most way to get profit out of it. Maybe. I think it really comes down to, so they've, the, these lengths have set reader expectations over time, right? So readers, probably if you could go back to a baseline, they don't want to necessarily want a sci-fi book that's 120,000, but that's what they've come to expect both and also physically, probably what they expect when they pick up the book and feel how mm -hmm. heavy the book is or see the spine, that's what their expectations are. And then, so we've seen that before with indies, like you write a novella, even if you don't call it a novella, they're like, oh, this feels short for $4.99. And you're like, okay, so $3.99 would have made it better? Like it would have made it a better value? <laughs> I don't know. But it's, we know like people make jokes about the, it's just a cup of coffee and stuff like that, but it's two totally different parts of your brain, two, yeah. and so two different budgets that it comes out of and it, you can't it's not a it's not a direct comparison yeah it's but crazy I, sometimes i for one welcome shorter books because i enjoy reading shorter books and as long as it's not um i would have written five books for five dollars each and i'm going to write write three books for 7.99 each so it's basically the same it's like like a wash it's if it's yeah. like a if it's like a numbers game trying to get more money out of it i don't mind but if it's five shorter tighter stories i'm all for it Yeah. Cool. Cool. The next one is like you, Spotify. Let's talk about Spotify. Who here has audiobooks? Jim. Yeah. Jim. Both of you. Yeah. You've, we've, Spotify has been in the news for a long time, good and bad. And uh, they're, they're, they've just, they had announced a while back that they were going to be offering audiobooks. And then, boom, just a couple of days ago, it's official. And like you can now buy an audiobook on Spotify. And what has been either thrilled thrilled authors or annoyed authors is the fact that they're selling them, not s offering them on a subscription or a per minute or a per hour basis. But you actually go onto Spotify and you buy and quote unquote own the audiobook. Yeah, so that's a totally different model for Spotify and it's caught some authors off guard and some are happy, some are not. What do you guys think? Dave, Jim, 
That's interesting. I use Spotify and I use a non-paid version just because I have, I mean, I have Pandora and I have Amazon Music and I have Spotify so I can go anywhere, pretty much get any song on demand that I want. And I actually use Audible for my audiobooks to listen to. And I also use the library app, the Libby app, which is powered by over. The interesting thing is that I almost always check the library first. So if I can get the book, if I can get the book and rent it rather or lease it, so to speak, rather than own it. Because once that book is done, I'm probably not going back to it unless it just it just moves me in a way that that I can't explain or whatever. But uh, that's interesting because it's not something we are not used to um, because Amazon will sell you the book and then they will also give you a Kindle Unlimited version of the book. And if you're a Prime member like myself, you can get a Prime book for a short amount of time. Once I've read that book, that book disappears after I take it off of Prime reading. So there are different models even within the same company. You know, Amazon offers three different models, maybe more. I'm not even really sure, but that it seems for people to be upset about it. Maybe they just love their Spotify streaming service and they just don't want to pay anymore. I don't know. I think it's smart that they're diverging from the regular business model here and not just streaming and paying authors pittance like Audible has done. I think Spotify probably saw what, who tried to do this a couple of years ago? Was it Scribd? Scribd? There was some other company mm. that tried that tried to do mm. this basically streaming, like a Kindle Unlimited audiobook thing, and it failed right away. I don't remember, but it was within yeah. a couple of months. They were like, we can't make any money doing this, and they just stopped doing it. So it seems smart to sell the books. I'm really curious about the downloading for offline listening. I wonder if that comes with very heavy kind of digital rights management stuff baked into it. Because if not, then this is a breeding ground for people to pirate, share audiobooks. Mm -hmm. and there. As far as that goes, I would assume like you can, if you watch a Netflix movie, you can download it for offline viewing. And I don't believe that there's an easy way to get that particular file off. And no, I, don't know. I, I feel like yeah. if people are pirating the Netflix movies, they're doing it a different way, not by downloading it to the app and... Yeah, it's some sort of like a strange buffer, like a like a temporary memory kind of a thing. Yeah, I'm I, sure it can be done, but there's probably easier ways to pirate it than off Spotify's download because you can download it anywhere. And if you have to buy it, you'd be better off because there's like Scribd, for instance, they still do have a thing where you can temporarily, like you get so many per month and it goes away at the end, like you don't own it. So they could somebody would probably be more caught. The budget conscious pirate would probably do be better off over there. Does Amazon still do that or Audible still do that romance Kindle Unlimited no, kind of thing for audiobooks? Did they, that fail? I think they pulled that. Yeah. They pulled that too. Yeah. 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 yeah I think um, so many authors, because that was like it was paid the authors so poorly. Yeah. All the authors pu pulled out of it. Audiobooks are so expensive to produce. It seems like Audible is pretty much the only company who's figured out how to make money with them yeah every they've seen all kinds of companies fail because they're just so expensive to produce it's so hard to make a profit especially since in in 2022 so many consumers expect an all-you-can-eat model yeah my take on even audible like, has their is, go ahead roland sorry is, is spotify might just be starting with this like they might have wanted to add something <clears throat> where you could just purchase it because in addition to selling audiobooks they've also started selling concert tickets or concert viewings like you can buy something for a live streaming of mm -hmm. a concert i haven't really followed it so it's not i don't think it's concert tickets but it's some sort of a 
they often you can buy live concerts or a concert thing in here. So they've already trying to set this precedent so you can buy things. But that doesn't mean that they won't also add, this could be just be another way to lure people in. Once they have your credit card information, now they can start sending you like, hey, with one click, you can try this, you know, you can try streaming for 99 mm-hmm. cents a month for the next month. And it might not be audiobooks right now, or maybe they will one day offer different levels. Here's, you can stream music for this much, <clears throat> excuse me, this much per month. You can, for an additional amount, you can stream audiobooks. And so there could be different levels. This could just be them testing the waters to see how it, how this goes. That's, that's exactly what I was getting ready to say. I was going to say on Audible, of course, you can pay a monthly fee and you can get one book per month. And you can also buy the book outright. You can just buy it for a single price. They might, Spotify might be testing the waters with how much how many people do actually want to want to have audiobook content? And they may say, well, you've already got your Spotify membership. So perhaps, perhaps you want to add a free ebook every month or audiobook every month for $4.99 more or whatever. I don't even know the price point for Spotify, but it seems to me like they're dipping their toe in, like you said, Roland, and maybe turning on some more features down the road. Yeah. Yeah. So anyone who's interested, if you have an audiobook or if you're planning on it and you want to know whether it's worth putting your book into Spotify, we've also included an article from Substack on by Monica Leonel from her aggressively wide newsletter, which does a pretty good breakdown of what Spotify will be paying. And it's very comparable to what all the other channels where they where you buy an audiobook are uh, what they're paying. And also she makes a really good point is like right now, Spotify is looking for content and uh, there's so many authors not wanting to be in there and resisting this, that you have this, maybe this is your good opportunity to get in there and sell some books at a very good rate before things change, if they ever change at all. But this is a good opportunity. I think I wish I had an audiobook to put in there. But workout books don't translate very well to audio. Are you being putting it? You get into it through Findaway Voices. All you just have to do is click a box. Are both of you going to click that box? That's a tough one for me. I'm still royalty sharing some of mine through ACX. So right now I'm locked in. They're coming up though pretty soon. So once they hit, once they get out of that exclusive contract with the the voice actor. Then I've got a lot of choices. Do I take these and put them wide or do I take them and keep them for myself and sell them direct? There's so many different ways you can do it these days, which is, I think, ultimately good for us. But it comes down to a lot of experimentation. See what works for you, I guess. I'm in the same boat as Dave that I have a couple of books that are going to be coming out of that seven-year exclusivity with Royalty Share early next year. And I'm going to be rethinking my whole audio strategy i think mm-hmm. i'm not entirely sure yet part of it is that i have a couple of royalty share i'm still in contact with one of those narrators but another one of those narrators i think might have passed away because he had mm-hmm. to, the last project i wanted him to do he had to drop out of for health reasons and now i can't get in touch with him uh so i don't know what happens then <laughs> what does that mean working it out with his mm-hmm. next of kin i don't know yeah yeah i believe so yeah yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. yeah. It's, that is a challenge that most authors don't have to consider, but maybe it yeah. is something to consider for the future. It's yeah. interesting. I've never seen an article or a blog post that covers that specific topic. Yeah, but that's a tough one. So, yeah. so I expect you to write it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have been challenged. Yeah. All right. Let's, for this last one, I want to talk about hybrid publishing. 
Uh, did you both see this article about from the IBPA, International mm -hmm. Book Publishing Association? And hybrid publishers, for those of you who might be new to the term, it's a, I'm going to say nebulous, right? It has a slightly mm -hmm. different version of what hybrid publisher is. Anything from now, we're not talking about hybrid authors. We're talking about a hybrid publisher. Right. So a hybrid publisher would be a publisher, a true traditional publisher would be you, the author pays nothing and they either get an advance or they and royalties or they just get royalties, depending. And the publisher provides the cover, the editing, or at least the final editing, right? And graphics for marketing and a variety of things, depending. But I think that's the gist of it. A hybrid publisher, on the other hand, says we are in this together and the, they expect the author to share some of the costs, but in theory for a bigger slice of the royalties, right? And then mm -hmm. it's up in the air about how much marketing and work the publisher does versus the author. Yeah. So have either one of you have any experience with a hybrid publisher? No, I am so suspicious of any author business that makes you pay up front that I haven't really looked into them too much. I went to a writer's conference once and I met a woman who owns a hybrid publishing company and she seemed like a very lovely person, but that's about all the experience I have with it. I'm suspicious. Dave. Yeah. It's a weird, um, it's a weird gray area too, because some hybrid publishers, as I understand it, may not actually ask for money out of your pocket. They may just say, okay, we will put you under our imprint for a 50-50 split or a 60-40 royalty split until it gets to a certain point. And what happens then is the royalty split goes more in favor of the author or whatever. So there are multiple different models. Anybody, I think anybody that asks you to pay up front for services, that's a little bit more shady. That's now you're starting to not get into hybrid publishing. You're getting into more like a, what's it called? Vanity press. Yeah, like a vanity press. So in my opinion, hybrid publishing might be a really good way for an author who has no skills with any of the background stuff, the admin stuff, to, to get a publisher to help them out with that part of it. The sticky part is, does that agreement eventually go in favor of the author? These guidelines, as far as I can tell, are trying to protect the author or protect the publisher too. And it's a, it's, I think that they have their own models that make money for them. And I think like the, like our thing says, will the publishers even care will, about complying with it? Well, it's a market driven service anyway. If the author doesn't like it, they have to be sure if they're with a hybrid publisher that they can get their rights back and go their own way. I don't know. That's yeah. a, it's a really weird. It's a weird question. I did a book a long time ago for a publishing company, a, a actually a huge publishing company that's totally independent, totally indie, and eventually decided not to go with that because it was too far off of my brand. However, it was very, it was like, here's what you will up until the cover is paid for, which is X dollars. The royalty will go to X percent. And then when the editing is paid for, the royalty will go to another percent. And then in the end, when everything is paid for, if you want to keep it under our imprint, it'll be 50-50 or something like that. So it was a very contractually regimented thing. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to take a little bit of, take a big opposite 
take on this because I don't have a problem with hybrid publishing. I don't, and I don't have a problem with a company that takes money up front to help you publish. But I want authors to consider it that when they're using a hybrid publisher, they're really going with some with an author services company. And there are companies out there that just build themselves as author services companies. And I think the difference, though, is that an author services company will will charge you for the cover, for the editing. So they like, you need all these things, and we're going to provide them for you with people that we trust. So hopefully you will trust them too, and you'll get a good experience, and you will come out with a very good book on the other end. And an author services company would typically say, now here are all your files, and we may or may not help you, show you how to upload them yourself and do all these other things. A hybrid publisher typically takes it to the next step, and they act as the publisher. They will put it on Amazon. They will put it in all the catalogs. They will list it, and they will control the pricing and all those things. So they, in that respect, <clears throat> they're more like, a, they're more like a publisher. So I guess they're taking on a little bit more work. So that's where you get into who gets the royalties and things like that. So that's, so I don't have a problem with either one, as long as the author knows what they're going into in getting into and going for and what their goal is like, but what Dave, what you brought up earlier about like and Nick, I mean, not Nick, I'm so sorry. I called you Nick, Jim. I know. I'll forgive yeah. you this one time. <laughs> Dave was really smart, but not Nick in his, in his, in his tagline there. But so you, there is a risk of it veering into the vanity press side. And I would say that the vanity press is typically would be like a hybrid publisher, but with lower standards. They, like they really don't care. They don't, they're not vetting your book to see whether it's meets their imprints yeah. values or themes or anything like that. They probably don't do great editing as we've seen with many vanity presses. And I've met a lot of authors that say, here's my book. And I'm like, Ugh, it's a good job, buddy. But it's, you can obviously <laughs> tell that it wasn't, it's not a great cover, wasn't edited well, wasn't formatted well. And, and like Dave said, sometimes you never get your rights back. It's, or part of their business model is when you want your rights back, you can pay us and you won't happily give you your rights back, right? There's like a, a scale between indie, indie, being an indie author or self-published author, right? Using a, doing everything yourself, finding all of the resources, finding all the services yourself. And then the next step up is, is using an author services company, right? To do all those things for you, but they pay, they, and then you get all the, the books back and you can do with them as you wish. Then there's the hybrid publisher, which the IBPA has, come up with these new standards for, which I pretty much agree with. If, if, a, if you go down these, and authors should definitely read this. And anytime they're going with even like a regular publisher, these are some really good things to consider like in, in here. And then after that, it's Vanity Press, which I would never recommend anyone, anyone use. But I don't have a problem with paying as long as you know what you're getting into. Especially if it gives you more control over your book, because like you might end up, it's just a mistake to think of it as a, that they're a publisher in the same, same way that a traditional publisher is. Yeah. Yeah. I actually produced a book through a vanity press. This is years ago before, before Amazon had the Kindle program or the KDP program or anything like that. And literally the only reason I did it was because I paid X number of dollars and it wasn't, a, it wasn't a terrible amount. They didn't look at the inside of the book at all that I know. I produced the interior file literally on Microsoft Word as a PDF. And then they had a cover designer come up with a cover that was that's hideous. I've still got a box full of these. And it was literally, I did it knowing 
that I wasn't going to sell a bunch of these books or anything, but knowing that I just wanted a way to print the book. This was a vehicle for me to get a bunch of print books for friends and family. So I weighed the cost of taking it to a printer and having it done versus being part of this vanity press, which is now out of business, I think. So there's a give and take, and it all comes back to what you said, Roland. Just know what you're doing. Know what you're getting into. If there's fine print, make sure you read that fine print and key in on the words, what is the rights agreement? Because that ultimately is the, that's the most important thing, probably. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, so definitely, I think these are some great things been in the news lately with, with especially with indie publishing, but it's there's so many things where I think my biggest takeaway in this week's news is that there's no such thing as purely an indie author or a traditionally published author. There's depending on the role you take or who you engage, who you pay, that you fall somewhere in this in the spectrum between the two. And as long as you end up with a book that you're proud of and that where you know you've done your best, I think it's uh, I think yeah, I think it's a, something to be I think again something to be proud of. Yeah. Yeah. So all these things are going to be in the show notes, links to all these articles. And the ones that I specifically, if you're looking for a publisher or looking to publish your book, definitely read the IBPA's hybrid publisher update. And if you have any questions about whether you should put your book in your audiobook into Spotify, I definitely recommend Monica Leonel's Substack newsletter, Aggressively Wide. She's very passionate about being wide whenever possible. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Let the let our listeners know where they can find you in case you've you, our discussion has intrigued them for today. Dave? Yeah, I'm at Barron's Book for my author stuff. So Barron'sbooks.com and cover design is at cover2book.com. Pretty easy to find. I think if you if you Google it, those things will come up. Cool. Jim. Between my house and my son's school, there's a really good deli. You can find me there <laughs> a couple times a week at about 8.30 in the morning. Awesome. Do you sell your books there on the little shelf? No, but they make these sandwiches and they put hash browns in the sand. That's their like secret ingredient is putting hash browns in breakfast mm. sandwiches and they're really good. You should okay. really get them to call that the gymnastic. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm Roland Denzel. You can find me at indestructibleauthor.com. And yeah, I hope to get, be in touch with you people and you authors. And uh, have a great week. And we'll see you next week, or you'll hear, hear us next week for Author News Weekly. Have a great day. Bye.